Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revell. Well, joining us on Inside Speedway is Alan Edworthy, who's well well known behind the microphone at Speedway's, well, particularly Parramatta Raceway, but he's about to launch his Speedway Offenhauser in Australia book, which is available online. So it's great to have a chance to have a chat with Alan Edworthy. Oh, good evening to you and your listeners, Craig, and it's nice to join you. It's been a labour of love, I believe. Ten years in the making? Oh, it's as much pain as it was love, I can tell you that for nothing. Um, but yes, it was just something I, I decided I wanted to do, and I was very much a part of the the uh, the highlight of uh, Offenhauser Racing in Australia, which was the what they call the golden era of uh, Speedway, but the Offenhauser played a major part um, of what we call speed cars now and the Americans call midgets um, and it changed the whole face of Australian uh, speed car racing around the, uh, the 1960s. You started out as a Sydney boy going to the Royal on a uh, Saturday night. What were those memories like and what was it that attracted you to Speedway? Well, I think I was... Uh, just on 13 at the time and I travelled from uh, inner city suburb of Leichhardt where my mate and I used to live and uh, he took me out to the speedway. His his brother had been out several times and I became involved with uh, Ray Oram who's a well-known racer from the era but before that on my first first season or so going we used to save up all our we had a paper run between us and we'd save up our two and sixpences and a few shillings so that we could uh, go out to the speedway. But the first time I went there, I just couldn't believe. I was astounded at the lights, the speed, the sound. There were no mufflers in those days. And the people. Uh, it was it was a quiet night if there was less than 20,000 people at the Sydney showground for a normal meeting. So um, it, I just hooked right into it and, and so did my mate. And... I stayed. And stayed you did, joining the Crash Crew. You're not the first person I've spoken to that has been on the Crash Crew at Speedway. What was the attraction of getting that much closer to the action? Well, you got paid five shillings, which is 50 cents in today's money. And uh, you could go anywhere you like, from the infield to the pits. So you had an open slather. So you were, you were, you were right on the... On the on the edge of it, and it was as frightening as it was exciting because at first turn, as you would be aware of, and so would your dad and certainly your grandfather would have been aware of it, that first turn at the speedway, and that's where the action happened. And if, it, if there was an, uh, an accident, a crash, you had to run there, not the other way. You had to get into the crash action. And it's not the, uh, well, I, I called it the uh, turn one tango because the cars were all heading infield, and on Numerous occasions, you were jumping over the bonnets and jumping over uh, the back wheels as they they went in the field, and you went uh, to, to the uh, to the track side. 
So I was a bit scared. You had to be there fast and, and uh, be prepared for fire and all that sort of thing. Of course, during that time, particularly towards the end of the uh, 60s, the rate of uh, people being seriously injured and killed was certainly up there and uh, it probably went through uh, an easier patch in the 70s, in the mid to late 80s. It got pretty dangerous again, but nowadays it seems to be a lot safer. Well, exactly. Uh, Open cockpit meant just that, open cockpit, frightening, frightening stuff. And then along came the... uh, the, the cage, the roll cage, which wasn't welcomed by a lot of drivers. For at one stage, they were mixing the uh, non-caged with the caged cars. That caused a, a lot of consternation. Um, lots of uh, lots of problems for the for the sport at that stage because there was there was the the won'ts and the wills, if you like. And uh, finally, they managed to um, to to make sure that. Um, uh, that it came through, that cage cars had to apply. Amazingly, uh, the great Bob Tattersall was not a fan. After 13 visits to Australia um, uh, in the 1960s, he was one of the uh, American drivers who was again um, cage racing because he thought it made um, so-so drivers much much braver and get into a lot of trouble and cause cause more incidents and pain for everyone else. But that was Tattersall. And he, he's the one that had a major impact on the bringing the Offenhauser to Australia. And it's, it's not hard to look back through the history and see what happened. And that's what we've included in the book. Tattersall stars, of course, but we talk about all the Americans who came out here um, many in the in the non-caged area, or most in the non-caged area, and then later on, uh, the the era where it was caged. So we learnt a lot, and we learnt a lot uh, about uh, how cars can be made not only safer, but like the Offenhauser, which was almost unbeatable for uh, the, the the main of its racing decades, which was something like forty decades. Uh, sorry, four decades. Uh, and the Offenhauser always managed to run supreme, and your grandfather knew all about that. Mm, indeed. So the the book, the Speedway Offenhauser in Australia, it, it I imagine has uh, covering off that whole period of forty years of Australian Speedway. Pretty much, uh, and as far as Australia and New Zealand are concerned, it all happened uh, in the nineteen thirties. When the uh, the first of the uh, of the cars to come into Australia was brought by the uh, Californian, uh, brought out by Paul Swedberg, and that was in 1939, and there was a bit of a gap because that was on the cusp of World War Two, and uh, Cal Nidey followed a couple of years later, uh, that is after the war, 19. Uh, 1948, and he brought a beautiful little Offenhauser out here, and uh, they were the first two Offenhausers uh, to uh, to come into Australia. And it was about this time that uh, your grandfather was um, was uh, talked into travelling to California with uh, uh, Cal Nidey, and that's where he bought the Offenhauser that became Australia number one. That your your grandfather drove to so many fantastic wins and set up 
he was really the man to beat. There were there were plenty of uh, there were plenty of challenges, but with the Offenhauser, which was specifically built for circle track oval track speedway racing, helped helped really push speed car racing along because the it it uh, it brought to the Australian owners and drivers the need to pick up the game. That's what the challenge was. And and they did that. And and that 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 Australia one car set the set the ball rolling before Tattersall started to finish it off in the nineteen sixties. And it it changed the face. When you've had uh, the opportunity now to put a book like this together, I imagine there are just A, so many cars and B, so many fantastic photos of different eras and different racetracks across the country. And choosing them was difficult, I can tell you, but not when it came to the cars, really, because it's um, there are so many cars. We, uh, when we look back, the, the book actually deals uh, between the United States and and Australia, the cars that were involved in both locations, numbers about 80 cars that have featured in this book. And of those, around 50 or um, around 50 more offies are still here in Australia. And of those, there's more than 20, I think it is, that are mobile and regularly demonstrate on track. And about the same amount, 20 or so, are complete for static display and the remainder are in various stages of restoration. But the number changes continuously as the uh, the vintage associations and the, the keen followers of Speedway from yesteryear, if I can use that, are still keeping an eye out for uh, often houses here in Australia. And they're still, they're still arri- arriving. But apart from that, apart from the great open houser itself in the book, which... Um, it, it led me off onto what I what I call dead ends detours and didn't know that at the start of the book. It, it led off to also to look at, of course, the people. The the Offenhauser became the catalyst in writing the book, and then I started to concentrate on on the on the people. Of course, in not only in Australia but in the United States where it all began, and New Zealand, who were very very quick to get uh, get up and going in the 1930s as well. Uh, and that was a long time before the Offenhausers got out there. But it's all about the men who built and owned and raced them, and both of them fascinating at the same time tragic because just the the drivers that had been connected with Offenhausers that came to race in Australia or they raced in Australia went home and raced them. Drivers that have direct connection with Australia uh, perished, yeah, either here or there. Mm. A tragic story. Mm. Yeah, it's a solid stuff. The interesting thing for me is that the Offie was still in there running in Australian Speedway, even I think into the, uh, definitely into the 70s, but even into the early 80s. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And um, and in the the 70s, of course, the whole thing changed with the Volkswagen. (laughs) <laughs> what we knew as Volkswagens, and uh, changed the whole face of, of um, midget speed car racing across those three nations, the core nations that uh, that race um, race the the sport. Uh, but the office still held its own 
for a long time. That leaning the the engine over on the side in a in a brand a brand new um, Volkswagen style of frame that long gone from the uh, the magnificent Curtis craft, but to these much more um, high science, if you will, of, of uh, speed car racing. But the Oppie still found a place there to run its own. Um, and they would come from out of the blue sometimes and just walk away because they had the stamina. They also had a lot of weight with them, even though, as, as you would be aware, that uh, most of the, a good portion of the often houses was uh, uh, moulded from aluminium, but there was still the steel. Uh, where the, the Volkswagen and the Sesco's and all the variations uh, were far lighter um, and much more sophisticated, but the Offie had the torque. It had the, um, the stamina and it had the power. And if it had the right driver, get the job done. Now, we left your story at the uh, Sydney showground you know, on the crash crew. Yes. At some point, you picked up a microphone and started speaking about Speedway. What was the impetus to become the uh, head announcer for 14 years at Parramatta? Well, it started out in karting because um, when I was when I became married, when I was wed, and I I made the the mistake of putting my my go kart up on the kitchen table to do a little bit of tuning, which I knew very little about, and of course that ended my karting career. <laughs> the kart got relegated to the shed behind lock and key, so I took up announcing um, uh, the carts. Um, I always wanted to be as good as Steve Raymond. I never got that high, but Steve uh, was the role model for me. And um, I took up karting and uh, kart uh, announcing. I travelled around Australia with that because the clubs, a lot of the clubs, when they were running their international and national karting events and and endurance events, um, they would bring me down from Sydney uh, for the for the race meeting, and then um, Sid Hopping. I, I knew from uh, the Speedway through Crash Crew and uh, and uh, other methods. But uh, when uh, Sid opened up Parramatta City Raceway, as it originally was known, um, he gave me a hoy and said, um, I need an announcer. I said, I'm yours. And I started with uh, Dave Booth um, uh, from Liverpool, who was um, a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, Dave, uh, after about six six weeks, Dave had other engagements and handed over the, uh, the microphone to myself. And I think I only missed um, two or three meetings in the uh, uh, in the fourteen years before I uh, before I moved on to some other tracks. It was a, certainly a voice that I grew up with. Your voice in the um, commentary box. Sorry about that. <laughs> What what was it like though um, in those days of Kinza rush at his peak and seeing all oh. these great drivers on a circuit that was really designed as much as you love speed cars? Parramatta City Raceway was cars. a sprint car track. It was. It was modelled on um, uh, the clay tracks, uh, particularly in uh, California. And Sid um, Sid always wanted to do it. And as you know, Sid was uh, in the beast. Which always got out of control, but but he he thumped that one through, and and then he got the um, 
Um, I forget the brand of the car, but uh, the wing thing, we had wings on the side, up the top and up the back. Um, and Sid, Sid, who had a background in uh, sidecar racing back in the 1950s, uh, Sid turned into a very much winning driver. Um, and um, just just his um, encouragement could come through uh, to everyone that worked there and to the people who came to watch the racing. And that's what that's what brought me on about it, I think. I, uh, yes, you talk about Rush um, and Steve Brazier. Rush and Brazier were the highlight for season after season, and that's where the race in the, in the early days surrounded the pair. Uh, racing to the finish in the in the in the main event, uh, and of course it uh, it developed further and further from there, um, and more people started importing rather uh, importing pure sprint cars rather than developing super modifieds up into sprint cars, and before long it was pure sprint car and mainly entirely American chassis of various format, uh, and I loved it. I still love it. Uh, I don't get out there that often. Um, but um, when I see Parramatta, it just all the memories come floating back. And they were great days. I'll, I'll never forget them. It's so many nice people, so many great drivers. And uh, it was very much an important part of my life. And it became a more, a more important part of uh, the, may I say, your generation of folk uh, became part of it as well. Mm. So it's continued on. And, of course, it would be with a heavy heart that you see it not running at the moment and knowing that if it doesn't run again, that's it. It's it's out to home bush for everyone. Yes, I'm afraid so. I'm sorry, um, I mean to say Eastern Creek. Eastern Creek, rather, yes. Well, as long as there is a survival plan, I think, Craig, um, and Speedway, sadly with Speedway, the only time you see it on television and when there's some uh, someone bouncing over the fence, and that's that's it. But go back to the days of um, 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 Mike Raymond uh, broadcasting uh, on, uh, on Channel Seven, and Jim Shepherd, also the the uh, back then in those days in the 1960s, the sports director of the new Channel Ten. Uh, Speedway was um, very much a part of uh, of television in the day, but now uh, it's like um, some other sports, unfortunately, that have faded into the into the background and we only see them when it's uh, something spectacular, when it's a crash. So uh, that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very sad thing. Whether that can ever, ever be uh, remedied, or not, remedied or not, I don't know. Uh, people have suggested, and this is getting away from the book somewhat, but um, we go back to uh, uh, solo sidecars, and uh, speed cars plus, don't know, don't know. But the last, it was um, a year or two back that I saw a speed car a race here, and I just couldn't believe how fantastic they are again. Um, but the the huger, uh, the the mighty wings, fantastic. Um, but the speed cars were still shining for me. I'm afraid that's I can't get away from it. <laughs> you don't have to do much to convince me that they're the premier sport. Oh, they're the premier category in the sport. That's for sure. Oh, they turn it on. Mm, indeed. 
Of course, I'm talking with Alan Edworthy, who's the author of Speedway Often Houses in Australia. And I guess one of the important things we need to do is to uh, let people know how they can get a hold of this 380-page book on uh, a fantastic era and also some fantastic cars that grace Speedway uh, across the country and, as you mentioned already, in New Zealand and America. Well, we expect it to be on sale within a week or so, Craig. Um, that's the that's the message we're getting from the uh, publisher. He's very, very happy with it, and I'm delighted with what they've done for us. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, the book will only be available uh, to order online, and that's a lot to do with that with the COVID. Um, so what we've what we've done is um, set up a pre-order system, and and they're already coming in, and it's just simply placing an order, and that can be done via our website, and uh, there's also a Facebook site as part of that part of that, and it um, can I can I recite the um, the email address with more style than me, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's it's simply in all lower case. Orders at an all one word speedway often Australia dot com. That's where you can place your pre release uh, orders, and that continues on. So when it is released, you'll be able to go to just simply www dot speedway often Australia dot com, and uh, from there on in, uh, we've also uh, organised a, a, a mailing house that will package and post it out but postage depending on where you live in uh, in the world that, uh, and and in Australia in particular the the postage does uh, does vary from place to place but they'll be able to give you all the information on what the uh, uh, the handling and postage postage is and the book uh, will be priced at uh, just jumping in here uh, we priced at $85 plus postage and handling well, if you only buy two books a year, buy this one twice. Isn't that what they say? Oh, thank you for that. I'll write that one down. I like it. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I think what I've, what I've tried to do also while delving into the past, uh, I'm also fairly confident that uh, today's generation of Speedway follows, followers will find the history part um, more than entertaining. They'll be fascinated at what how how it it was run and how it was done, if I can use that, um, way back when, entirely different days. Um, and people were, uh, and even here in Australia, were professional drivers. In, in America, in the United States, um, most of them were professionals as well. That was their bread and butter. Um, but I think, I think all readers of all ages will find it pretty interesting. i when I was going through it and, and um, doing all the research, I'd, I'd go, oh, as I said, dead ends, details, and did I didn't know that. Uh, and some of the owners, colourful, colourful owners, um, and the drivers, just, just uh, I, I was um, I was really taken by it all. I got further and further into it. I thought I was going to get it done in a couple of months. Wrong. It, it just got deeper and deeper, and I think uh, readers will... Uh, will uh, fatten that out. I've had a lot of uh, uh, contributors too, like Janice, Dennis Dillon, of course, and um, a former uh, 
FE Holden racer on the original Liverpool dirt track, Bill Bowling, who's made a tremendous input in, into the book. And they're just a few that have uh, Alan Back in New Zealand contributed. So um, we've, um, we've uh, had people from all over helping me with it, and I'm very, very grateful to them. It, uh, it's something that uh, I think a lot of people will be hearing this and hoping they find it in uh, the wrapping paper under the Christmas tree because it's, uh, well, it's perfectly time for that. The perfect yo yo ho ho, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, I hope so. I'm, I'm, I know, um, I know they'll enjoy it. I'm, I'm very, very sure of that. Alan, it's been a, a pleasure catching up with you here on Inside Speedway, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the, uh, or reading, I should say, some of uh, the uh, mysteries and uh, some of the legends that have uh, made up the uh, offy years here in Australia. It's been a, been a pleasure, Craig. Thank you for that. And thank you for the opportunity as well. And say good day to your dad. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.